The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's get the weekend started off right with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm good, you know. Uh, you know why I'm dyslexic? Can't tell a joke. No, Duff. Why? Because they, they punch up the p- line. <laughs> Duff is the best, man. Uh, I have uh, never met anyone who loves bad jokes as much as me. So thanks, Duff. Uh, little uh, band called Guns N' Roses, a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, great guy, and a bad joke buddy. Keeping us laughing every Friday with his ridiculous uh, little barbs and jabs. Thanks to Duff, and thanks uh, for everybody listening today. And thanks to my old friend Chavo Guerrero as he returns to talk as Jericho to talk about his dad, Chavo Guerrero Sr., or Chavo Classic, as he came to be known after his WWE run with his son and his brother Eddie in 2004. You'll hear how he ended up back at WWE and who gave him the classic name. Chavo Jr. is also talking about the book that his dad wrote before he died nearly a year ago today. The late, great Roddy Piper wrote the foreword, and Chavo was working to get the book published this year. Uh, Chavo's is sharing uh, lots of stories about his dad, including his fro- a close friendship with Roddy Piper, some of the heat they generated during their big feud, his dad's run in Japan, what it was like to grow up in a wrestling family. Chavo is not holding anything back. He's talking about some of the problems dad faced, his own uh, complicated relationship with him, and what he learned from him as a wrestler and a man. Today on Talk is Jericho's a special episode, Chavo Guerrero on Chavo Guerrero. And right now, it's uh, Fozzie in Europe with Steel Panther. Got a couple more days left on one of my favorite tours we've ever done in the uh, long history of this band. Uh, actually, here in Stuttgart tonight, we tore the house down. It's so much fun. Every show has been great. Steel Panther fans are awesome. Fozzie fans are awesome. They come to the show with the same uh, attitude, the same mindset. They just want to have fun. So uh, we are here in Zurich uh, tonight, February 9th. And um, we will then finish off the tour in Spain. We're in Barcelona on the 11th, Madrid on the 12th, the 13th is Bilbao. And then we come back to the States to do our own headlining tour, the Judas Rising Tour 2018 with Through Fire, Santa Cruz, and Dark Sky Choir. That starts uh, February 28th in New Orleans. You can get tickets at FozzyRock.com. Come join us for the VIP meet and greet as well. Fozzy is the best VI experience in rock and roll. We do a mini concert for you. Take requests, play covers, take pictures, sign autographs. We meet you. We greet you. We'll even retweet you if you want. So come hang out with all of us at the Fozzie VIP meet and greet. Tickets available now at FozzieRock.com. Uh, we'll see you then on the Judas Rising Tour, and we'll see you right now. Chavo on Chavo starts now. All right, so it's uh, the return of one of my favorite guests. Uh, Chavo Guerrero is here. And um, we're here in a, uh, the record company's kind of back room uh, shed which is what you would not think when you think about a record company. You think there'd be some high rise or something like that, but Century Media has a house. It, this is such a um, an LA thing. As I'm working in LA more and more, I, I keep seeing all these different little houses that don't look like much from the outside, and then you walk into them, they're like, "Oh my god, this is go- it's awesome, yeah. it's gorgeous!" Right? It's like little hidden gems, little compound. Yeah, for um, our production company, Glitter Productions, which uh, um, Genji Cohen. Uh, for glow, oh, and for glow, yeah. and she does you know oranges and new black and weeds and nurse Jackie and several other things. She bought a like a whole building in Koreatown, 
And you, from the outside, it's, okay, you get in there. It's amazing. Like, yeah. You gutter the whole thing. It's, it's like amazing. There's ping pong tables and like the, you know, the little cornhole games and, and, and their dogs are allowed. It's pretty, pretty amazing. It becomes the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to Gene Simmons' house a, f- a few years ago for this show and you pull up and it's just a big giant gate. Yeah. And it slides open and behind it is like this Wizard of Oz fantasy world of like this no giant way. house on the hill with all the landscaping and stuff. But if you, if you think you're just driving by it like yeah. just on La Cienega or yeah. something like you like really? would never notice you know what I mean really that's but, amazing you know we're, and we've got lots to talk to you about because you are such an integral part of Glow which is the biggest uh, one of the biggest shows on TV right now and we're going to do a whole show about Glow or maybe yeah. we've already already done a whole show about yeah. Glow but I wanted to talk to you it was an idea that I had uh, earlier this year when uh, when your dad uh, Chavo Guerrero Sr. Right. Uh, passed away and I just thought it was a real interesting thing because when he passed away, I, re- I read you know a couple stories, uh, a couple of the obituaries like in Dave Meltzer's uh, you know uh, column and all that sort of stuff. And and knew obviously I knew Chavo as well, but just Dave Meltzer, that guy's still around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Well, he's, he's actually st- he's still painting on the business. Well, not really. But when someone oh, passes gosh. away, that's when you get the real sense of the history. Oh, and you. I didn't know a lot I about yeah. about Chavo Guerrero's real history and past and. You posted something very uh, poignant when he passed away. You said that he was a true rebel. Yeah. And to me, that was almost the spirit of Chavo Guerrero for, for the few times that I met him as well. As much as I, at times, especially younger in my career, when I didn't agree with it, because you're, especially younger in your career, you're such a conformist. You're always, you know, you just, you, you want to please the company and you want to, you know, please Eric Bischoff or please Vince McMahon, you're just a, you're just a, a doer. Yeah, okay. What do you want? Okay, what do you want me to do? It's like, great. And then as you start getting older, you start kind of re- watching things and go, wait a minute, that's not right. I shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. This is this. No, no, no. Well, then you really start appreciating the rebelness of my father. He at first younger was like a conformist, like me. You know, he was a pleaser. You know, do what the promoter needed. And then when you realized that, God, man, I, I think when he he started going to, to Japan a lot with. Um, the three, only three gaijins on the tour, the gaijins being the foreigners, mm-hmm. uh, you know that, mm-hmm. was Brody and Hansen. And this is when he was all Japan. This is after he left New Japan and went to all Japan. He, um, at first, you know, those are two established guys. In, two of the biggest names in Japanese wrestling history. And biggest dudes. I mean, they're yeah. huge. And they're, you know, you had to prove yourself with them. With the three gaijins all the time was my dad, Hansen, and Brody. They took him in... And accepted him after a few tours and realized, hey, this is a crazy son of a bitch just like us. And uh, kind of really taught him to be like a rebel and not take crap from people. You know, this is, we're the wrestlers. This is our, this is our, our business. You know what I mean? We're in the ring. We're, we're the artists in that ring. And so often it gets, as you know, it gets um, your artistic view gets convoluted because... You know, you have a promoter or an agent or somebody telling you one thing, somebody else telling you something else. And if you don't want to step on toes and you don't want to mess things up, well, no, that, that's that's our artistry in the ring, and and that's what my father realized and kind of you know took it to a different level, of course, <laughs> you know, a, a la Chavo classic style. But uh, I started really just appreciating it a lot more, you know, and really just appreciating him and. It wasn't always right. He wasn't always wrong, but he did it his way. He really did. And what you're saying, too, because it's very interesting, because, I mean, even when we came up now, and it's been 20 years, 25 years, or whatever it may be, there still was that attitude of, of the promoter only has so much power. I mean, one thing when I met you in WCW, and obviously we're young guys. But you look at the guys that were on, on top, they were basically doing whatever the hell they wanted to do, questioning everything or just saying no. I mean, you hear Hall and Nash you know, you know, if you, if you guys don't do what we say, we'll send you to Siberia. We're over in Siberia, like just not giving a shit about anything. Then went through kind of that WWE time where you know Vince being the boss is like, don't send me to Siberia, Vince. Vince, I'm sorry. Right. I, I think it's moved now to where there isn't as much of those rebellions happening, which is probably a good thing, but also it, it hurts some of the individuality and probably some of the drawing power because if you think you can do better and don't make a stand you'll always kind of be in that middle ground yeah that's what happens but but that was a great line by the way we're over in siberia yeah. i love i absolutely love that and, yeah and we're just not giving as, a yeah, shit yeah, right yeah, yeah it's true but and that's true too like i guess back in the day there was a lot of places to go 
Right. If you ruffled too many feathers and you got fired, you go somewhere else. Yes. Well, now there's not. So you can't ruffle the wrong feathers. Like they always, you know, it's, it's, they always tell you, you know, we want you to break out of the box. We want to grab want the brass ring, grab the brass ring, but it's, it's not available to everybody. And, and I know they always, yes, it is. And this and that, but it's just, um, if you ruffle too many feathers, ruffle the wrong feathers. Yeah. You're out. You won't be able to make it back. You will not be able yeah, to make yeah. it back. And and that's we've just, seen that that's happen. That's the way it goes. I mean, I've seen it and, and you've seen some very talented guys let go yeah and you've seen guys that aren't as talented stay like why why would you let money go i mean in our eyes now mm. i'm not the promoter it's i'm not vince mcmahon he's a genius in his in what he does he's proven it time and time again but they always say you know you've seen it you really only got to get over with one person mm-hmm. i don't know how it is there now i've been gone still the same but once you get over with one person being vince then then you're over it's and still he the same. sees it in you and i use um well, just not to say any names. I don't want to mess anybody or get mad at anybody more mad at me. But you have people that are champions and some of their big stars. And I remember when they were pushing this one particular champion, we were kind of like, what? Him? Why? I mean, uh, and I remember one of the agents coming up to me and saying, oh, well, Vince sees it. And, of course, this guy panned out to be one of the most <laughs> the best champions ever yeah, and right. the biggest drawing power they've ever had. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. There is some. Yeah, there's some, some validity. Sometimes he sees more than we do. But yeah. you know, you're talking about a guy. Let's say like a guy like Cody Rhodes. He wasn't. Yes. He wasn't getting what he what he thought right. he could do, right. and decided to leave and take a chance. And there's other guys like Ryback who did the same thing that didn't pan out. Right. Cody, it's panning out. He yeah. he's able to make a name for himself and 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 raise his stakes. I, so. I, I think Chavo did that quite a bit as well. He did. Um, I think from what you told me about Japan, did he not leave? Yes. So, so he was at New Japan. My father was the junior heavyweight champion over there, and uh, him and Fujinami had a big run back and forth and huge rivalry. Huge rivalry. So, my dad actually just he wrote a book before he died, and uh, you know was did it Chavo style and was getting in the middle, getting ready to get it published and stuff. And uh, that's something I'm going to finish for him. I've read it. It's freak. It's awesome. Wow. It's really so talks he had about wrote, wrote this yes. and then passed away. Kind of. Yes. Yes. So he. Basically, even on his deathbed, it was saying, this is my legacy to you guys. You know, he, I didn't leave you a bunch of money, and I didn't leave you Rolexes and cars and properties. I left you this. Get it published. This is my legacy to you guys. So that's something that we're definitely going to get published for sure. And it's, it's an excellent, excellent book. and really made me realize more of what my dad, you know, went through and stuff. But he talks about that in there, in that book. And he talks about how, you know, they he was on the, the outs with with Mike LaBelle and they wanted him to drop the strap and this is in California where this, he was a big star right yeah he's a big star at the at the um, NWA Hollywood which is with him Roddy Piper that's I mean everybody was anybody came through that area the Olymp- with the Olympic Olympic Auditorium Auditorium was the big place so you know they would loan he was on you know basically contract with them and they would loan him out to Japan and different places but then when he started getting over in Japan they started hanging that over his head. Well, we're not going to let you go to Japan. We're going to pull you back. We're, you know, this whole independent contractor status is a bunch of bullshit. And even back then, oh, we're not going to let you wrestle in Japan. We're, we're going to pull you back. And they're like, wait a minute. No, that's, he's like, that's mine. You can't Same take thing that. Bischoff beat. said to me when we were working New Japan and WCW. So, so, so Mike LaBelle running the, the Hollywood yeah. organization didn't want to let Chavo go because he was losing one of his guys. Exactly. Right. Same, exactly. Exactly. Same you, shit. you went through it. Yeah. You went through it. Uh, and I applaud you for doing your own thing for sure. That's that you were definitely a rebel in your own in yeah. your own sense for sure. But he, so he was in New Japan, and um, they wanted him to drop it, and uh, which is fine. You know he's going to do business, mm-hmm. but the way they were doing it, and it's kind of like they were screwing him on purpose. Like, well, we're gonna we're gonna teach you a lesson. So he said, nope, I'm gonna teach you a lesson. So he ended up talking to Baba in all Japan. The present head of all japan and they offered him much more money and he was already making great money much more money and so he just took the strap and went to all japan which was not done at that time mm-hmm. it was not done so there's no contract at this time you're just basically working on your word yes so he left and went to all japan became their all japan champion their their um junior champ 
And he was he knows he was there for. He was there to help make people. There was a young kid there named Onita that he helped make. So funny, right? And uh, he's not not a young kid anymore. But and was never was really much boss, of a right? technician either. My first boss, he was more of a deathmatch yes. guy. But he learned as a trained classic junior heavyweight working yes. with Chavo Guerrero and those yeah. type of guys. Yeah. So you know, and, and I mean, I remember one. You know, having both belts in my house and you know oh, yeah, putting yeah. them both on, and it was really cool. And he had that belt that that junior uh, the. Um, uh, New Japan Junior Champ belt for a long time at our house and was supposed to go to me as our legacy. We were to keep it. And it's funny, I'll tell you that I'll get back to that real quick. But the same thing happened with my grandfather. When my grandfather left EMLL, EMLL, CMLL, CMLL, CMLL. yeah, was uh, Paco Alonso's company. Well, no, before Paco, Sal- it was Salvador Alonso, uh, Luderoth, 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 yeah. They want the same thing with him. My grandfather took the, the junior, junior NWA, NWA strap and said, nope. And, and this is in the book also, and said, uh, uh, no, that that's not going to happen. And he kept it for a long time until finally Mike LaBelle with my dad loaned him to to Mexico City to back to CMLL. And my dad did good business. And my grandfather said, this was never my belt. It's their belt. I was just holding it. Gave it back to my dad to drop it to one of their guys over mm-hmm. there. And uh, I forget who it is. It's in the book, but <laughs> uh, um, and gave it back to him. So, in a sense, I kind of would have done the same thing, and I would have gone back to uh, to New Japan and dropped it at the right time right, to the right, right person. Right, right, right. Uh, but my dad needed some cash, and he sold it. And I believe uh, Ultimate Dragon has it. He sold the actual belt. He still had to sell it. He had he needed money. <laughs> he sold it to Ultimate Dragon, who still owes him, I think, uh, a thousand bucks for a, a thousand more dollars for it. Dragon owns Dra- it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> although I'm sure over the years, Chavo probably borrowed a few yeah, bucks from Dragon. Yeah, he, well, he still owes you some money. So I was going to come with a check, and <laughs> my, I totally forgot. My favorite Chavo story is the very first day I ever met him. I've told it before in the Plaza Madrid. Uh, Hector was there, and uh, and Chavo just I just get this random knock at my door. And I open it up, and it's like, hey, it's Chavo Guerrero. I'm like, oh, like, you know, I don't know anybody. And I know it's Chavo Guerrero. I know him. First guy I ever saw do a moonsault body block. He's like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Hey, man. Talks to me for about 30 seconds. He goes, hey, you got 60 bucks? I'm like, American? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah. He goes, let me 60 bucks. I'll, I'll be right back. He took the 60 bucks, and I saw him three weeks later. Uh, I'm not sure. It still owes you the 60 bucks. I was gonna, and I was seriously going to tell him, well, this one day is going to happen with a check. <laughs> for you for 60 bucks and i totally forgot to i was like rushing my house today something i wanted to do damn it i think the 60 bucks was a certain price for a certain yeah, yeah, uh, for, party favor yeah, shall we say definite party favor which he talks about too. but the, that was a total chavo as well wasn't he a big party guy yeah you know what he so my dad was just my, my wife said it right my dad never really wanted, didn't want to hurt anybody he had a mm-hmm. good heart he was just he just liked having a good time he was here for a good time he loved hanging out with the boys. He loved wrestling. He loved being in the ring, but also loved being with the boys, that camaraderie. And I think uh, just being as, as a kid, um, you know, on the wrestling team in high school, that he really just started bonding like that. And that's why he really loved wrestling, you know, because wrestling is such a fraternity, and there's nowhere else, else like it in, in anything. I mean, I guess maybe if you're in the like military, you know, some people have your back for sure, you know, right. like that. So I, I definitely see that. I was watching um, some biker gang on biker thing on TV, a documentary. And my wife looks at me and she goes, you know what? I, I could see you being in a biker gang. And I'm like, what? And she goes, well, not, you know, causing havoc and being a criminal, but uh, and not that all of them are just saying <laughs> some are, uh, but the camaraderie that you had that in wrestling so much with your with your boys that you guys were always on the road and you guys would you had each other's backs no matter what and you know they mess with one of you they mess with all of you and now you don't have that you know now I transitioned back into Orange County California which mm-hmm. is you know Teacher they they like don't yeah they just people don't have it's just I'm a di- I'm a different breed mm-hmm. I tried to transition it just didn't work too well so I kind of Pulled, pulled out a little bit. I kind of just hang out by myself, but, but uh, you know, and, and but being around the boys and stuff, that's what my dad loved. You know, he yeah. loved that camaraderie, and and you know, no one understood you like the wrestlers, especially back then. Back then, it was the wild west. It's very select few, and there was no MMA back then. And we've talked about this before. The toughest guys in the world were the wrestlers. Were wrestlers yeah. were the wrestlers. It wasn't the football players. It wasn't the hockey players. And I'm sorry, but it was the wrestlers. I'm telling you, there was no. MMA, there was none of that. They, you know, I'm not saying guys aren't tough 
you can duke it out with you guys in other sports, absolutely. But wrestling was kind of, they were the first MMA guys. They knew, you know, they knew jujitsu, they knew judo, they knew wrestling, they knew boxing, they knew kind of everything. They had to because they were getting their butts kicked every night. <laughs> and every night was, wasn't, it wasn't so, so much of a, a performance as it is now. It was, you know, you, don't, you never knew what was going to happen in the ring. You, you, you're there to do business, but a lot of times, you know, somebody didn't want to put you over. You didn't want to, they didn't want to lose to you, so they would... Just shoot just, on you. Yeah, shoot on you, try to kick your ass, so you had to you Did had Did ever have any of those type of experiences? Absolutely. About it? In Absolutely. the ring or out? Many, many, many times. And he was a very professional, so definitely would come out of the ring and do his, his business. But... Um, I remember he told me one time he was wrestling this older timer in 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 Juarez, over there in Juarez, Mexico, right across from El Paso. And the guy took liberties with him. He was an older guy, took liberties with him. And my dad, you know, got out, was pissed off. He was young, and my grandfather was a promoter. They went into the dressing room, and my dad was, like, really hot, really pissed off, and, you know, the Guerrero temper. And the guy was like, he goes, um, relax, calm down, take it easy. take it. He goes, I... Because I didn't mean to hit you. He goes, look, watch, stick your chin out. I'll show you what I did. So my dad, being this young green guy, sticks his chin out, and the guy clocks him again. Bam! So my dad gets all mad. Ah, this are getting a big old fight, and my grandfather pulls him aside and goes, "Well, what did you expect him to do? It's your fault. You stuck your chin out, dumbass." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, okay, okay." But many times, man, many there was many times, many shoots that he was get, gotten into, and his book talks a lot about it. Talks a lot about uh, Fujiwara, how. Uh, my dad became got a shooter um, name, courtesy of Fujiwara, one of the best shooters of all time. Shooters meaning you know stretches the best mm-hmm. guy who could really for real guy to kick your ass. But um, they were on a bus. Uh, it was a tour of I don't know if it was all Japan maybe, and uh, a lot of guys, a lot of the Florida boys were on that tour, and it was you know Steve Kern and Paul Orndorff and Hogan and a bunch of other guys. And some of them, and I don't know exactly who, this is my dad's stuff, so, but some of them were, they are bored on the tour, and you know, you're, you're like three weeks in a different country, and especially back then, it was not as Americanized as it, as it is now, you were in a completely different country, it was like being in Shogun, you know, <laughs> and uh, they were putting the windows down and trying to spit. Uh, they're on the bus driving by in little towns and trying to spit on the Japanese people, see if they can get get each one, which is completely disrespectful <laughs> and a total American thing to yeah, do, right? Yeah, totally, right? So, and because you, you got these big, huge American guys that are, you know, back then there's guys that are, you know, 300 pounds, 280 pounds, they're huge guys and, and you know, tough, tough dudes, so they didn't care. So they're sitting there and they're trying to spit on the, on the people, and my dad was pissed off. He was like, no, you don't, you know, don't do that. Oh, Chavo, shut up. Well, word got back to the office, and the office was going to send the whole tour home, and that's it. But they said, well, we're going to lose too much money. Okay, we're putting them in the ring one by one with Fujiwara. So every one of them got in the ring, whether they were spitting or not. They were got the in the ring. All the foreigners, all the gaijins got in the ring with Fujiwara. And Fujiwara stretched every every single one of them every consecutive nights and Orndorff would walk out and Orndorff was one of the toughest guys around. He'd walk out, you know, just, you know, hobbling and hurting yeah. and stuff. And, and, uh, the next guy and the next guy, and next guy. So finally it gets to my dad. So they're all ribbing my father, everybody oh, up Chavo. It's your turn tonight. All the boys are going tonight. It's your turn. You're good. You're getting it tonight. Well, needless to, needless to say that every night was a, was a standing room early. It's curtain call. They're all watching Fujiwara stretch everybody, you know, and seeing who, can hang the hold their own. Fujiwara got wind that my dad was not doing it, and they got in the ring. And my dad was was a good, very good amateur and a good shooter. Not even on the level of Fujiwara, mm-hmm. he was on a completely different different level. Uh, but well, this is Fuji. I was, Fujiwara. This is Fujiwara. Is like the bad mother. This is Fujiwara, like this yeah. is like yeah, Carl like Gotch, early and yeah. Billy Robinson, yeah, and better. Yeah. yeah, those guys didn't mess with him. Yeah, right, those right, guys. Right. Are, so he, uh, they got in the ring and actually had a match, a work shoot match, and 
I don't know the outcome was as far as who went over, but it was a work shoot match. And afterwards, Fujiwara walked into the dressing room, the Gaijin dressing room, and bowed to my father. And everybody was like, holy shit. <laughs> and that's how my dad got a reputation as a shooter, shooter. but it was Fujiwara doing the, doing, doing the job for him. Because <laughs> Jabba, too, like, was, uh, was a smaller guy as well. Yeah, we're all, all the girls are small. We're right. all, you know, between basically 5'8 and 5'10. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad, I think at his biggest was about 227 pounds, which was big, you know, for that size. But, you know, his range was about, about 215 maybe mm-hmm. 210 215 that was his like he huddled around that range basically we were just we're a bunch of brown small brown guys in a big white guy's world you know but he was very talented though very. i always kind of got mm-hmm. the, like i said from, from the the times we hung out which wasn't a lot but that he always felt like he could have gone farther and should have gone farther in the business but maybe was the size held him back maybe Abs- ab- absolutely yes and no. Mm. Yes and no. You can always say that, hey, well, my size, if I was bigger, I would have been a world champion. Right, right, right. You've heard it a million times. I'd be the world champion if I was, you know, five inches taller. Well, whatever. If you sell tickets, you're going to be the world champion. Yeah. Back then, maybe a different story. But you could look at guys like Danny Hodge. Danny Hodge was not a big guy. He was, a, a, you know, not an NWA champion, but he was a very respected and very tough guy that even the heavyweights would not mess with. Yeah. Danny Hodge was a, you know, all Amer- a Olympian and a brass, a uh, golden gloves boxing champion also had a, the infamous grip that he had that would, you know, crush walnuts and crush pliers and crush apples. Cause he would just had this great, crazy grip, but you know, he got over because of, you know, he drew some money. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Um, but he definitely, you know, my, what my dad's problem was, Okay, maybe in his size, but it was definitely sometimes the attitude, the attitude. T- towards the business and and the rebelism and attitude what you should. <clears throat> in what we discussed before, or what was his attitude? Yeah, his attitude was that so he was a. I guess you always believe that you should get more than you get, mm. and I should be I should be in a limo, and I should be Hulk Hogan, and I should be this. Yeah, you know, there's only a, there's yeah. only a few of those guys, you know, and we all got to know our roles, and if you know your role right, you're able to make a little living in this business for a long time and, and parlay that into other things. So, um, was he a talented guy? Absolutely. I see some of his matches with Fujinami back in the day and God, they were so good. I was like, God, you could go, you mm-hmm. could go really. Some of his tag matches, man, just, just so good. When he was clicking, he was really clicking. He was really good and a tough guy. You know, he wasn't scared of anybody and, First guy to ever do the moonsault body block. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Like, yeah. We do the moonsault. The guy yeah. catches you while you're Upside standing. Down. Yeah, yeah, the standing. Yeah, I, totally. I'd never seen that before until I saw him do yeah, that. Yeah, I think uh, so. He, according to him, he invented it. Um, I don't know if he saw it somewhere else or if he saw the moonsault somewhere else and decided to do it standing up. But he used to carry my little GI Joe dolls in his in his. They're like the, the first little action sp- figures, like yeah, mini yeah. wrestling action figures, like, you know, the small ones, like the three-inch tall ones. Yeah. And he'd carry them in, in his uh, bag, and he would show, like, guys, like, what he wanted to do. Okay, I want, catch me like this. If you're standing up, this is what I'm wow. going to do. And and uh, the guy's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand it now. Because the Lucha Libre style, if you didn't know that style in America or anywhere else, it's hard to do if you don't have a great base. Mm-hmm. So he would say, this is what I'm going to do. Can you base me on this? Can you base me on that? And he's like, he's, he'd, be, you know, he'd use the dolls. The that's action that's great. That's yeah. great. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What do you remember about your dad? I mean, obviously, growing up with your dad, he was in the business at the time when you were born. Uh, it's 1970, I think it is. Yep, yep. So was there a lot of traveling? Was Did you really know what he did for a living? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, we... we we were with the Guerreros. Yeah, we, had, right. we had a wrestling ring in the backyard, and we lived, breathed, ate, slept wrestling. 
that was what we did our entire lives. So yeah, I knew exactly what he did and what I wanted to do. Mm. You know, I wanted to follow in their footsteps. I remember my grandfather promoting and me and Eddie be at the um, the the bull ring in Wattis and stealing cigarettes and you know trying to smoke them in one of the little the little <laughs> VIP boxes that was just a little hole cut. Remember the little boxes that was like seats, but it was like yeah. You know, no windows, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, we just would play in the ring. And, uh, yeah, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and what he did. So I remember, as long as I can remember, it was wrestling, you mm-hmm. know, and I knew what my dad did. I remember he didn't travel as much when I was a kid because he was a teacher. He was just getting into it. And he, you know, was, was, was home a lot. And was, I remember him being a great dad. He was being around. And then... Uh, I remember him going to Japan for the first time and convincing the funks to let him go. And they're like, well, I'm not sure you're still young. Maybe you know, I don't know if you're, you're, you're good enough yet. They conv- he convinced the funks to let him go and he filled a spot and did really well. And I remember him coming back from Japan with all of these toys, these little Ultraman toys and all these little – in Japan back in the day especially – they had so many, and you know this, but they had so all the electronics were super advanced there, and all all bunch of different little toys and bunch of different stuff that we didn't have here in the states. So he'd bring all that stuff home to me, and I was just so excited every time, like, oh yeah, he's, he brought me home, you know, action figures and you know, uh, Godzilla and Mothra and all those little cool <laughs> things, and it was really, it was cool. I loved it. You know, it's funny because my my kids are just now getting to the point where they can come to a match. And watch it and not be freaked out that I'm going to get beat up or right. not cry when I'm selling. How old are they? Uh, they're 11 and 13. My okay. son was a little bit. My daughter's just hated going. Sure, I, I don't sure. wrestle as much yeah, now. Sure, but sure. how old were you when you were figured out that it was a work? And did your dad sit you down and tell you? Or was it just kind of something that you were expected to know? They never, never told us. Mm. Ever. Never, never. But we just knew. You just, it's one of those things that you, you know it's it's real and then it's not real. You know, I mean, I remember him getting up and be, being, you know, stitches and, and getting up out of bed and being hurt and always, always hurting, you know, always having problems with, you know, back and legs and hurt from the night before, you know, black eyes and stuff. And I always remember that. But I also remembered that it was, and I just thought my dad was a superhero. You know, it, it wasn't, it was like my dad was Superman. I was never scared. Like, oh my God, my dad. Oh, and start mm-hmm. crying. None of that. I would just, I'd watch it and was just, you know, enthralled by it. Like, oh, you know, don't worry. He's going to be okay. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, never, they never once smartened us up. I, I do some seminars and stuff now and I teach a thing called like a wrestling theory class, I call it. You know, when I do a seminar, I'm not there to teach you a, uh, headlock takeover. I'm going to tell you, teach you why we do a headlock takeover. And um, I, rem- I use this example to where I, rem- I tell the guys, I go, yeah, I get it. It's pro wrestling. You shoot off to the ropes. But where else in f- like physically, like in physics or like in any other fight, do you actually throw somebody against the rope and they come bouncing back to you? They let you do that. I go, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Yeah, I get it. It's pro wrestling. We have a gray area. But use those reserve those for what to make it make sense so just you know shoot reverse duck under okay you know you hit guys fit the rules 15 times uh so i teach them how and when to try to hit the ropes and how to make it make sense so um i was a six-year-old kid seven-year-old kid in la and i remember my asking my dad we were at the olympic auditorium this is before the show or maybe my dad was doing some booking there because he he was the booker at a time there at 30 years old, by the way, so it's like crazy. <laughs> so um, I, I remember asking him, how, how come when they throw you the ropes, you don't just stop? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, well, here, shoot, throw me the ropes. So he shot me to the ropes like hard. And I, and I, you know, I ran, I had to stop myself, but I stopped before I hit the other side of the ropes. And I said, how come you don't just do that? And he's like, well, what's wrestling? We, you know, sometimes we don't just do that. I'm like, oh, okay. So I tell the guys, you know, if I'm training, I'm saying, if I'm six-year-old or seven-year-old kid thinking that, well, just think of the audience, what they're thinking. You know, I get it. You want, they want to be their belief suspended, and that's mm-hmm. what we do. And it was very much like magic. I use this analogy a lot, too. It's like Chris Angel. Chris Angel's floating, and you know it's a, it's a, it's an a illusion. But he starts floating, you go, holy shit, what is he doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is he doing sure, that? Sure, sure. But once you see the string, you oh, okay, uh, change the channel. Yeah, yeah, so I exactly. tell the guys, that's what wrestling is. 
they know it's not real, that it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. They want to lose themselves in it. But once you let them see the string, which is the worked wrestling punch or the too much of a dance in there and not the realism of like of a, of a Benoit type thing, I go, then they're changing the channel. Mm-hmm. Then you lost them. All that work you did in that ring, they're, they're, you, it was for nothing. So who was it that said, um, I believe it was uh, the original Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, said, I, I can't convince you that wrestling's real, but I can convince you that I'm real. Mm-hmm. You know, And even though it's, you, just, you know, that's why you know we have good wrestlers and you have bad wrestlers. You have good teachers and bad teachers, good lawyers, bad lawyers. Some are just better at getting you to lose yourself in that suspended belief. Mm-hmm. You know, what did what, what, what did Chavo say when you told him for sure that you wanted to get into business? Thought I was too small, but you're bigger than him. Uh, Maybe not weight wise. Yeah, yeah, no height, same height, okay. exact same height. Not weight wise, but same height. We're all about the same height. Except Hector was just a little bit taller. Mm-hmm. Mondo was a little, a little shorter. I wasn't big enough. It's a land of giants. You know, there's no guarantee. Go to school. What are you doing? And you know, I heard that from a lot of people. My grandmother used to think that too. Just ah, he, he doesn't have that killer instinct, you know. And you know, I remember one of my best friends who's passed away. And he said, "Hey, um, when I became a wrestler, and actually did it, and he saw him watching me on TV, and he was very serious about it. He goes, you know, we all used to laugh at you. We used to laugh at you and think that, like, what is this guy wants to be a wrestler? Have you not seen this guy's?" five foot nine and you know on a good day <laughs> and you know has he not seen what these guys these monsters are doing and then when i became a wrestler and did it he goes you know what now you're our idol hmm. all of us all of our us friends look up to you and that's what i i also tell people a lot of times too i go guys if i'm doing like a motivational speech i always talk about that and say you guys you can do anything you want you don't listen to the 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 haters because the haters are the ones that are you know 40 years old sleeping on their mom's couches. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of rich, successful people and never once has any one of those guys told me that I couldn't do it. They're like, hell yeah, you can do it. Right. Because people told them they couldn't right. do it. So I'm not saying there's not going to be a lot of work and sacrifice for what you're trying to accomplish. And that, that goes without saying, but you can do it for mm-hmm. sure. And, and that's, I think that's something that w- when I did become a wrestler and got the love and the acknowledgement, I guess, of my dad like that, was that's huge you know mm-hmm. the support of him he was always supported me but it was like you know hey you did it man you did it i you know i didn't think you could do it when did you get that from him um later in my career you know starting your career it was always like oh you're doing this wrong you know you're punching wrong and you're doing this wrong which was which is okay i mean it came into wcw quite quickly absolutely after only a handful of matches yeah, yeah for sure a few like i mean maybe 15 matches right. and they said i'm in wcw thank you uh lord stephen regal <laughs> darren <laughs> still owe you <laughs> that was uh regal was asked um, i had a tryout match and they brought me in i don't know it's in like montgomery alabama or mobile alabama and uh, Regal asked to work with me and made me look like a million bucks. Right, he right. made me look way better than I was. Right. Way better. <laughs> right, right, right. So I kind of went to WCW to learn, basically. Mm. But with my dad, you know, it was later on in my career, and finally he would say, man, I, I love watching you wrestle. Mm. I love watching you wrestle. It, it, it makes me happy. So, you know, you're doing the girl name proud. So uh, that always felt good. You know you yeah. know when, you're, when your peers, especially your, your idols, your father, so when your peers start – they give you that that not just recognition, but that that you, you're part of the fraternity. You know, I remember Ric Flair telling me one time, me and Ray Ray Mysterio came out of the ring, and he goes, "Oh man, excellent match, guys, excellent match." And I was like, "Wow, that's Ric Flair telling me excellent match." Because I remember wrestling Ric for the first time in WCW. Uh, maybe in my 25th match <laughs> and scared to death mm-hmm. and he was like hey kid don't worry about it It was like one of those worldwide shows <laughs> saturday night tape and whatever hey kid don't worry about it you got it and it was of course to set up something with him and eddie right but um you know there's you know the time steve austin you know pulled me aside say excellent 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 job and that's you start learning that you start get, hearing that from your peers that you look up to and you're like hey, all right i guess mm-hmm. i'm doing something right would, uh, what was the relationship that you had with Roddy Piper? Because I know that Piper and your dad were huge rivals here in, in yeah. California. So, in, in from Piper to Piper wrote a forward to my dad's book. 
It's funny because Piper also wrote a book yes. that didn't get published before he passed away. And I think his kids are finishing up his book as well. Yes, absolutely. Yep, yep. Ariel and and uh, and Colt. Cool. Yeah. Um, but he basically said, "There's only a few amigos in in this business. Not just talking to your friends, your acquaintances, or people you work with, but amigos, like real, real." friends the real amigos and he said that my dad that was one of them mm. and my dad's same thing with him you know mm. basically they they came up together when roddy was 19 years old starting at the olympic auditorium my dad was you know 23 24 maybe i don't know something like that and would tear the house down would kill it you know and roddy would do his own thing would was such the heel such the heat seeker back then you know he would he had a huge rival a huge feud with my dad and wouldn't tell my dad what he's doing. He would just do it. Even back then, he he was Roddy was such a rebel. You know that was mm-hmm. huge rebel. Mm-hmm. Roddy would do it, and um, so he brings out a a donkey to an interview, and it's Mrs. Guerrero. It's my dad's mom. He calls it. I'm going to Paul. I'm going to talk to Mrs. to Mrs. Guerrero, and he's interviewing the donkey and. And Mr. Guerrero, what do you think about, you know, your son? And, and you know, the donkey's going, and it's going, and, oh, well, she said this. And, he, and oh, he got so much heat from it that people wanted to kill him. Well, my dad wanted to kill him also. He was like, how dare you disrespect my family like that? How dare you? And, and Roddy was like, amigo, relax. It's heat. The watch. And, then, and sure enough, the next week, the Olympic Auditorium sold out. Hmm. So the next night. Roddy grabs the mic and says, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Tonight I'm going to give an apology to the Mexican people for what I did to the Guerrero family and Mrs. Guerrero. And I'm going to play the Mexican national anthem on my bagpipes. So, you know, everybody's watching it and sold out. I mean, it's, you know, TV. He walks into onto the middle of the ring and starts playing La Cucaracha. <laughs> and the people wanted to kill him. And my father wanted to shoot, kill him. And then when he talked my dad down, he was like, hey, you, um, you look at the heat that we're getting. And then once my dad started realizing it, a la me and Eddie with the... <laughs> Uncle Eddie's my favorite wrestler. Eddie is Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler. Oh, you were yes. so mad about that. I was mad. That, I think we've told that story yeah. again, but real, real quick. Eddie, Eddie and I had a feud in WCW, and you were you were there. You saw it. We were at Panama City Beach. Mm-hmm. And, in the dressing room. Yep. And Colin, I think Colin the photographer mm-hmm. guy, got this airbrush shirt. This is Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler that I was I had to wear I was supposed to wear because Eddie was we had this feud and he was a bad guy I was a good guy and he I lost the match and I had to be do the stuff that he said so anyways I I didn't want to wear the shirt and I was like no this is just so disrespectful you can't make me do that and I'm throwing chairs in the in the locker room you remember right we such we, a tantrum it was we, really we, funny we remember you remember right we were right like, there like yesterday I remember we you were right there you're so mad and and but once I got it. I got like, oh, this is getting over. God, look at the TV time we're getting. Oh, look at all this. And it was a little different because we were on a salary contract there. But if it would have been somewhere like WWE that you're performance-based, basically, I would have seen the money we were making. Like, oh, my God, wow, yeah, great, yeah. great, great, great. So um, then, you know, a month later, I'm suggesting, hey, how about we do a hair versus hair match? And, you know, you beat me, I shave my head. And Eddie's like, what? Really? A month a month ago, you didn't want to wear a shirt that said "I'm your favorite wrestler." So, yeah, but that's how you're learning. Though. I get it. I get. It. I messed up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the same thing. With my dad. You know, same thing happened with my dad and Piper. And then he yeah. kind of got it and got the heat that Piper was getting and the money that they were drawing because of this. Yeah, just yeah. saw that it was right. working. Right. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So what was it like when, um, I mean, you, you, you go from WCW to, uh, to WWE and you have a good run with Eddie and you're doing a lot of stuff on your own. And then here comes Chavo Classic, which I think a lot of people, 
and rightfully so with the television penetration, probably don't know a lot about Chavo Guerrero in Japan or in L.A., but Chavo Classics is kind of his most biggest claim to fame. Yeah, you know what? That was something that they, me and Eddie had another feud, a different feud in WWE, which was which was pretty hot at the time. And uh, Bruce Prichard had an idea to say, hey, how about, how would your dad feel about coming in and doing a one-night thing? And I looked at Eddie, we talked to Eddie, and we're like, yeah, that'd be great. I think it'd, it'd be awesome. So my dad came in and... Um, you know, was there to mediate this feud between me and Eddie, and then he ended up turning on Eddie, and we beat the crap out of Eddie in the ring. And next you know, he that was a one-night thing, and they loved it so much, they brought him in for another night, and then another night, and then another night. He became my manager, and they signed him to a contract, you know, and it's, that was one of, that's such a missed opportunity my dad had, and he was one of his biggest regrets of his life, because... He knew, and I was telling him, I go, Dad, you can, you can parlay this. They're, they loved what he was doing, what he and I were doing. As, then he became the cruiserweight champ. And remember they brought him, they had uh, all the, the his, his ring rats, you know, his, his valets. There were all these older women that would come out with him. And I remember one time I would knock on the door and, and said, you know, I, I went to open the door. And he's the cruiserweight champ now, who, which beat me on accident. Basically, beat me in the rings. Him, me, him, and Spike Dudley had a match, and I got knocked down. Spike he hit Spike Dudley and tripped over Spike Dudley and onto me, and the ref counted one, two, three. And I'm, what? What do you mean you want? He's like, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. But then he's the champ, and he's like, hey, the champ. So then we were doing vignettes to where you know I'd go to his dressing room and I say, well, dressing room was this. Chavo Guerrero Cla- or Chavo Classic Cruiserweight Champion on his and I'm like what the heck so I would just go walk in and he'd say hey 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 close that door the door, the door would close <laughs> and I'd say what knock first so I'm knocking the door like who is it and then he first, it's it's your son oh hey son how you doing well welcome to the champ's dressing room and I'd be like what the he- people loved it they loved what we were doing the He's office character the office loved it he was doing so good and I told him I go man man you can parlay this into becoming you know in a you know, an agent or something. You have so much to give to this business. But he fell into the trap of the veteran, old veteran wrestler and decided to, he wanted to be Chavo Guerrero from 1985. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, began, became, began partying again like he was the champ and was believing the hype. And that's something in this business and, and you know, in, in entertainment altogether, you cannot believe the hype. It's it's a job. We are wrestlers. It's our job. You, as a rock star, it's your job. But once you start believing the hype, you fall into that, and that business will consume you. Mm-hmm. And it consumed my dad. I, I saw it. And it was a good thing that I saw it because I, I wasn't going to let that happen to me, you know? And who knows? You know, if that would have been my dad, he would if he would have kept on that route, he would have maybe ended up dead in a hotel room, mm-hmm. you know? He just started doing what he was doing when he was a you know, a 32 year old man and, and start doing some drugs and drinking and, and being out late night and believing the hype that he was this he was wrestler champ. again. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, Hey dude, this, this is a work. It's not, it's not real. Mm. As much as it's real, it's not real. Were you traveling with him at the time? We traveled with each other for a while, and then we couldn't travel with each other. Say, how was that? We, yeah, it was at first. It was great, and then we were at each other's like throats all the time. Like he's a very hard person to be with all the time. He's very, very hard. I always would joke and say, um, "Small doses." I loved my dad in small doses. When it was more than that, it was we became we had much of a very much brother father a brother sure. brother relationship as far as son you know son father you know so it wasn't like i would call him for advice and stuff you know, i just i just i don't know it just wasn't there mm-hmm. but i'd call him for you know grab a beer and stuff like that and in fact we stopped drinking together for a long time because we were always <laughs> getting fights i was like gosh damn i don't want to fight you i got to fight in the the real world i don't want to fight my family too yeah yeah, yeah. so uh you know, it, it was being on the road with him was was great. It just was, it was hard. It was taxing a lot of times too. So we stopped traveling together, and even though we were working, you know, together, he's like as my manager type thing. Which, I a lot of the other the, his veteran boys, you know, I think Stan Hansen told him too, like, hey, thank God for your son, you're up there. You know, you got you got a you got a job again, you know. And he was like, what? What do you mean you got a job again? It's because because of me, not because <laughs> when he couldn't realize that. Hey, dude, you're you. 
just like we, I was Eddie's lamb for a mm-hmm. long time, you you're you were my lamb. You were there to enhance me, but you were getting over so much that you were you were becoming a great character. And if you would have stepped that route, he would have he would have lasted a lot longer. You know? mm-hmm. How did it end up? Uh, what was the end for him there? So he missed a few shows. What happened was that he missed two or three shows and we we're calling him. we couldn't get a hold of him and this is um i don't give the whole story away because it's in his book also but he talks about it and really takes a lot of um ownership and the first time i really ever heard him take ownership for this stuff because he was always a, a uh, you know the world's out to get me type guy at times but you know as he got older he actually wrote about it and really took ownership for his mistakes mm-hmm. and explained some of them and and just, you know, owned up and fessed up. So that was really cool to hear because sometimes I didn't hear that from him, mm-hmm. from his mouth, you know. Um, but he missed some shows and um, turns out that he finally showed up to one and he was, you know, he was f***ed up. And mm. and uh, they knew he was, the agents knew he was he was effed up and, you know, you could only cover for somebody so long. And the next day was TV and Vince McMahon, which he absolutely did not have to do pulled me and Eddie aside and said, look, I'm going to have to let your father go and your brother, Eddie. And he goes, it's killing me to do it because I, I thought, you know, I thought he had changed, you know, this is probably the third time that Vince has fired my dad. Mm-hmm. I think it was. So we looked at Vince and said, Hey, thank you. If I owned this company, I would have done the same. He didn't have to do that. So I respect him very much for that. And, uh, it's, it, it is what it is, you know, and you know, I, that night, it was kind of funny because uh, that night, you know, we were all bummed out that it happened and my dad was super bummed and he's like, tell him, he's like, I gotta, I gotta go to, uh, I gotta go to Mexico or else I'm gonna kill myself, you know, and then my mother and my father had gotten gotten divorced and they'd been divorced for a while. Then I'm, then I'm on the ride home, driving home and I'm talking to my mom and kind of telling her what happened a little bit without telling her everything because I didn't want, you know, I didn't, they wanted to gossip to my mom about my dad. It just, you know, just talking a little bit. And she's like, ah, well, there was a time there when I was super unhappy too. And I almost killed myself too. And I'm like, what? In the, in the same night, I got my mom and my dad telling me both that they were both contemplating suicide. I'm like, Are you, really? Yeah. Who's the mother and the father here? And who's yeah. a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? right, 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 right. Yeah, but, but, you know. So he never even saw it coming then. Javel getting, getting, getting fired. He knew he messed up. Mm. He was hoping that he got reprimanded. I remember when they talked to him, they said, hey, you know, well, we're going to have to let you go. And his response was, was well, well, I'll go to rehab. I'll go to rehab. I'll, I'll do what you want. He tried to keep his job, and it wasn't. He wasn't that much of a, of a ensconced character on the show, important character on the show. Well, to... Yeah, of course. You're not that. You're not just. You're nobody not, is. Nobody is. But you're, you can't set that example, you know. And, and mm. that was before, right before the drug big drug policy again in wrestling uh, before Eddie passed and before you know Benoit passed and that whole deal when when the you know the the um, part testing and the, and the drug testing really really got so stringent as, as it is now is it still like that there yeah oh, it's yeah. still there right it's, it's just real, yeah good yeah it's, I mean it was super real it's people real. didn't believe it people oh you guys are all on steroids I'm like no, we're yeah. all getting yeah. tested for this all the time. You know. You know what? I knew it was real when. Uh, well, I I had some experiences last year when I went back. I didn't get popped for anything, but I was told, you know, this is a real deal, and you can't be doing this, this, and this. And yeah. then when they pop Roman Reigns, I was like, oh, I know this is real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there was no way that that Vince wanted that to happen. Right. Right. You know? He was their star, the mid yeah, star. Yeah. You know, it's always funny that anybody they don't work out and don't know the the effort that we actually put in the gym and our yeah. diets and stuff. To us, every, they're all we're all on steroids. Sure, that's sure. that's how everybody says. You guys have to be on steroids. And I'm like, we are not. Yeah, or just disciplined, disciplined, and, and, yeah. and motivated. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. How did how did Chavo get the name Classic? Classic came from Michael Hayes, that <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, no, I, I have a love hate relationship. Yeah. Too, but everyone does. I think so. Uh, but uh, they started calling him Classic. Um, you know, Chavo, sort of Chavo Senior. So you're like Chavo Classic, and it just stuck. And we started calling him Classic, and I would do promo sometimes when my dad was in the ring doing stuff, and I'd, I'd be like, uh, not promo, but like uh, a commentary, yeah, and yeah. I'd say, uh, "He's classic. I'm the new, like the new. He's the yeah. new. He's the travel. He's the Coke classic. I'm the new Coke. So he'd be, <laughs> he was, he was Chavo classic. I'm the new Chavo. I'm all the talent 
half the fat. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you uh, uh, consider that to be like a a high point of your relationship with your dad? Like, are you are you oh. fortunate that you got to have those times with him? Such a dream come true to actually sit there and have him in the ring with me as my idol, you know, and and to have him in the ring with me and and doing stuff together was it was incredible, you know. Now I'd get mad at him a lot because he was very rusty. He was very 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 good in his in his in his heyday, but. He was rusty. Like, you know, he'd be outside and, you know, cheating in front of the ref and, you know, cheating past the five count. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're killing our heat. Get back <laughs> yeah, in here. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. And I'd, I'd, get, I'd be getting mad at him. I'd say, you're better than that. What are you doing? And I, I, it, I definitely regret a lot of it because I was hard on him. Mm-hmm. I was definitely like, you know, you, you need to be – we, we were at the top of our games. Mm-hmm. Me, me and Eddie were, were at the top – Close to top. I, I got a little better as I as maybe about three years after that. But uh, we're very we were good. We were good, and um, I was expecting my father to be right there right. too. And you just can't. I mean, his first match ever back in WWE, I think it was the time, was me. It was in our feud, so it was me and my dad against Eddie and Kurt Angle at the main event of SmackDown. Hmm. That's his first match back. <laughs> he said we were just going, blah, blah, blah. and he's like, "How you?" He goes, "You guys were going a million miles an hour, just trying to catch up." When before he was the one leading, yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know. But no, so he's kind of trying. He was just trying to catch up, and that shows you that I wasn't at the top of my game because I would have slowed everything mm-hmm. down and compensated for him and made it look like okay. Even though we all kind of did it, we would have done it better. I would definitely would have you know slowed things down and 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 led him more in there. What was uh, Eddie's relationship with Chavo at that point in time? They had a very they had a good re- good relationship at times. My dad was his oldest brother by eighteen years, so a lot of times Eddie was like his son, but then a lot of times he wasn't. He was his brother, so he regrets a lot of things that he did as the older brother for Eddie. He should have been more of an older brother. And at that time, this was this was Eddie's time in WWE. You know, mm-hmm. it was Eddie's time. The reason they really, from what I understand, I wasn't in the meetings, but the reason they really broke us up, not only to have a tag team, but to have two single guys. But they wanted to start doing a run for champion for Eddie. Right, it makes sense. Yeah, so which is great. It was Eddie's time to shine. So we were there to enhance Eddie. That's what we were, I was there for, even though I was the cruiserweight champion. The step, but it was really, it was great, but it was to, um, it was the whole Guerrero. Propel, yeah. Propel, yeah, because, propelling yeah, propel Eddie, him, yeah. you know, and, and do that. And then the whole thing with JBL and, you know, and that, and the thing with JBL and was there to propel him too. And we were kind of part of that a little bit. And so my dad's relationship, you know, it, it's hard because he was the star mm-hmm. of the family. He was the star. He was the star. Now he had to take a back seat, yeah. not only to me but to Eddie and it. You know that's we we we'd had to. That was it was his time. So um, I, he saw it, but didn't always accept it. You yeah, know what I mean, I remember hearing years ago that I think it was Chavo, maybe Mondo too. They used to give Eddie shit because they they didn't have money, or you know Eddie had some money. They're like, well, you got to give us some money, you know, yours type of thing. You know, that's the absolutely that was you know he's like, oh, but these guys want so much money from me. Because they think I owe it to them, and I kind of do. Honestly, Eddie, you don't owe anybody anything. It's true. They had their chance to work. This is your chance to work. Just because you're successful right now doesn't mean you have to give it all away. Not that they were strong arming him for everything, but I remember they were giving him some 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 grief about that. Eddie, Eddie was making the money at the time, you right. know, and they were they were, you know <laughs> you got somebody making money in the family. family. Jealous yeah, stuff. sure. Yeah. And my dad, my dad had this time too when he was the one making money, and they were hitting him up for, <laughs> right, for exactly for money, and he hated it. I'm sure you got it too at some point. Oh God, money. yeah, absolutely. I, the, the, my dad <laughs> yeah. a ton of money. You can't but yeah, yeah, but that you know, and he hated it. So it was just the, you know reversed, mm. you know, cycles there. You yeah, know, that's yeah, something yeah. that I always said that I was never going to ever do was going to start hitting up family members for money <laughs> when they're doing better for me than me. It's yeah. like, let me just make my own way, you know? Last few things. What do you think you're, the legacy of Chavo Guerrero is in, in the wrestling business, both uh, uh, in wrestling, but both as a, as a, as a Mexican uh, guy, maybe one of the first crossover Mexican stars, maybe? Um, what do you think? Where do you think he fits in all that? Um, he's had a, he had a huge, a huge impact and influence on on the wrestling business as far as being a, a Mexican-American. He was really the first 
guy to really cross over. You had Mil Mascaros that would do that, would dabble back mm-hmm. and forth. Mil Mascaros was definitely over where he went. Like it was a ton of places that he was always going, and and, and you know different organizations and stuff. But never stayed. He was still made his main. And Mil's job also completely Mexican. Chavo's more of like a like a Mexican American, you know, yes, yes, Mexican American, yes. you know that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So he. Um, yeah, he definitely – he had a huge impact, a huge impact on Mexican-American wrestling. I think the Guerreros all really kind of did. My grandfather, when he got blackballed and left you know, CMLL back in the day, Luderoff, he came to the States too you know, back then. And, and especially back you know, in the 1950s, you know, that Mexicans were not very well liked, mm-hmm. especially in like you know, in some of the South. You know? And he'd go there and wrestle and, and – um, you know, bring his family along there. But my my dad was he he wrestling's different now. It's like every year hybrid. So when you anytime you see lucha libre, any like a head scissors or flips, that's all lucha libre style. Anytime you see that real that strong, huge, strong style, that's the the Japanese style. The the mat great mat wrestling was the the European style, and the performance, the the actual. Um, Character. The characters that was American style, right? Well, now everybody's, everybody's a hybrid now, just like MMA. Before it was wrestling versus yeah, yeah, boxing yeah. and jujitsu versus judo. Well, now it's it's everybody's a hybrid. Yes. You have to be good at everything to make it. So my dad was kind of not one. Of the, he wasn't one of the first guys to kind of cross over and do that and bring that lucha libre style to the states. And then he would go to Japan and he'd got the Japanese style and bring that here. And he'd be in Europe and bring that style here. So he was very well-rounded wrestler. He he was a hybrid before there was real hybrids. You know what mm. I mean? Not you know, a lot of the guys. The guys you know, the rest, American wrestlers would go to Japan, but not a lot. Not a lot of them would go to the right. U.S. I mean, right. to Mexico and learn that that style. You know, it was mm-hmm. different. You know, a lot of them wouldn't go to to Europe because they'd get their asses kicked. Sure. So. My dad would, and would learn all that styles, you know. So he was kind of one of the first hybrids. Um, I just think he meant a lot. Jim Ross put it over really good and said that he was one of the first real high flyers, like in UWF and and all that kind of stuff. And he really talked about that. And my dad and Jim Ross have, have a love hate relationship also. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it, you know he it was really cool of him to put him over like that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite match of your dad's? Anything in Japan with him and Onita or him and Fujinami. The only WWF shows I got were like the superstar shows that was just squash matches, you know? But every time he'd go to Japan, the referees would would tape VHS tape or beta tape the... uh, the whole show for him, and he'd bring, he'd bring him home. So I would see, you know, the World Warriors versus Cho, uh, Choshu mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, Mat, uh, uh, um, yeah, you're talking about uh, Cho, Chono, um, yeah, not yeah. Chono, but Choshu, Ricky Choshu, and uh, a couple other guys. Yeah. So, yeah, anyways, Masahiro. Masahiro, there he is, Masahiro. And then uh, you know, I'd see Flair Steamboat over there, and I would see these incredible matches, you know, and I'd see my dad versus Fujinami, or the time that my dad lost to Onita, and lost the championship to Onita, and thought, hey, how am I? How can I get on the front page? And basically talked to Anita, Anita was for it, and, and he shook Anita's hand and spun him around, and this, you know, back in Japan, it, it was all about sportsmanship, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you lost, you shook somebody's hand. Well, my dad spun spun Anita around, and, and German suplexed him, and grabbed the huge trophies that they wanted, and broke him over Anita, and gigged him, and beat the <laughs> crap out of him, and all, and all, back then, the, and it's in this press too, was, yeah. the press wasn't in on it, and, and all the young boys weren't in on it. So the young boys that are on the ring, they're trying to come in, the young wrestlers <laughs> there, they're trying to come in and stop it. My dad's punching them in the face, and they're like, oh, they're freaking out. Like, oh, what do we do? Respect, but... Yeah, yeah. So it was a huge thing, and sure enough, on the front cover of the magazine was my dad. <laughs> or the newspaper, you know, yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, that's that's how he did it, and, and, and that made Onita, too, because mm-hmm. it showed how tough Onita was, and... Onita came back to you know to to revenge him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great stuff, man. Yeah, like I said, Dad was a good guy and a very famous guy, so uh, very integral to the business. So glad we got a chance to talk about him today. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man, and catch yeah. up. And you know, man, we, we've got a long, we've gone way back. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, and, I, you yeah. Know, you and I before families and kids and stuff when we were just a bunch of young couple punks, punks and yeah, you know. Uh, I'm happy to see your success and see what you're doing, and and you broke the mold, man. So yeah, man, well, you're uh, 
I'm trying to follow you. <laughs> you <laughs> are. For sure. But I love you, man. And love God you bless too, you, brother. Thanks, right. man. Someday I'm going to get my 60 bucks back. You will. And a check. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, my friend Chavo Guerrero, for coming back to talk about his uh, famous dad, uh, legendary dad. He'll let us know as soon as his dad's book is published, and we will let you guys know as well. It's going to be a fascinating read. I'm sure we'll also be able to get Chavo to come back and tell us about the second season of Glow when that comes to Netflix later this year. What a huge hit it's been. It was up for so many awards, Emmys, Golden Globe, SAGs. It won the Art Directors Guild Award for Excellence in Production, and that's all because of Chavo. So there you go, Chavs. Congratulations. Uh, everyone, go check out Glow and check out what Chavo is doing at, uh, right now. Uh, killing it on that show. And speaking of killing it, Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea sets sell October 27th. We are selling tickets like uh, like hotcakes, man. But there's still a lot of great cabins left at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. $150 deposit holds your cabin. And once you book, everything is included in the booking price. All the food, all the activities, all the live podcasts, stand-up comedy shows, meet and greets, concerts, all covered in the price of your cabin. Only things you pay for on the ship, drinks and gambling. All right? If you don't do those, everything's for free. So uh, you'll be able to come hang out on the ship, too. Remember, this is not a fortress. All of the talent, all these names, all these Hall of Famers are going to be hanging around on the boat with you. Talking about Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler, SoCal Val, Mick Foley, Ricky the Dragon Seaboat, Rey Mysterio, Raven, Cyrus and Paul Lazenby from Killing the Town, Conan, Disco Inferno, Shane Helms from Keeping It 100, uh, uh, Dave and and, and, and uh, Dave Shear is going to be there, and Tim Dennis from Beyond the Darkness, scaring the pants off you doing some scary tales Colt Cabana Marty DeRosa doing their unprofessional wrestling show hilarious Brad Williams Ron Funch is doing hilarious comedy Jim Brewer doing hilarious comedy and playing with the loud rowdy featuring Steve Brown and uh, PJ Farley from Trickster great rock and roll band Busted Open Radio is going to be there Dave LaGreca Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons get their new album The Age of Absurdity now on iTunes uh, King The Stir from Atlanta The Dave Spivak Project go see Spiwi's new video for Get Out of My House uh, great guy you, you know Spiwi obviously one of my favorite friends of all time. The Darlings of Rock and Roll, The Cherry Bombs, Shoot to Thrill, the world's greatest ACDC cover band, Blizzard of Oz, the world's best Ozzy Osbourne uh, cover band, of course, Ring of Honor, presenting the Sea of Honor tournament aboard the ship, matches happening in the middle of the ocean, and the winner of the tournament gets a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship shot in the future. Young Bucks will be there, Marty Skrull, Adam Page, Cody, don't call him Rhodes, that's the Bullet Club right there, guys, the Briscoe Brothers, Dalton Castle, Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, Jay Lethal, Delirious, uh, Brandy Rhodes, so many more are coming soon. Over the next few weeks, do not miss out on this. Go to Chris Jericho Cruise right now and reserve your cabin today. All right, thanks again for uh, Chavo Guerrero talking about Chavo, uh, Chavo and Chavo. Uh, it, uh, this week it's uh, Valentine's Day next Wednesday. In honor of Valentine's Day, we got Will Osprey and his missus. B. Priestley is going to be here. Nice little conversation between the two of them. Will Osprey, one of the hottest performers uh, around the world today, and he's going to be here on Wednesday. Special Valentine's edition. Will Ospreay and his missus uh, coming up then. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. And Chavo, you still owe me 60 bucks, Patito.